Thank you for listening to this Table Church Sermon Podcast. We are in a series on prayer right now called Praying for a Change. Now, many of us are praying for something to change, but we aren't sure how to do it. Others of us barely pray and need to start praying for a change. This series is intended to help with both. So come learn with us as we develop a hunger for God in prayer, as well as some practical tools to help us pray better. And as always, if you need anything, please find us at our website, tablechurchdsm.org. Now please enjoy this week's teaching. Good morning, Table Church. Trying not to knock things over up here. <laughs> My name is Trevor Zelensky. Um, I've been coming here for a few years, and um, I serve in the setup crew and in the, the tech crew. Um, I'm going to be reading scripture this morning. Uh, we're going to read from the book of Luke, chapter 14, verses 15 through 24. Uh, if you guys need a Bible, if you don't have one, um, we have some here for you. Uh, just raise your hand and usher will bring you one. Uh, if you don't have a Bible or need one, feel free to keep that one that they bring to you and um, use it to explore God's word. Um, here we go. When one of those at the table had heard him say this, he said to Jesus, Blessed is the one who will eat at the feast of the kingdom of God. Jesus replied, A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I have just bought a field, and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and the alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there's still room. Then the master told his servant, Go out to the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full, I tell you. Not one of those who are invited will get a taste of my banquet. Good morning, everybody. My name is Phil Wiseman. I'm the lead pastor, and I just want to say thank you for coming and welcome. If you are new to Table Church or you're just checking it out, be sure to stop by and say hello at the Welcome Center out in the lobby. We'd love to give you a gift, and mostly we just want to get to know you a little bit. Thanks so much for joining us today. A couple things to let you guys know. First of all, um, our kids' ministry is growing. We have a lot of kids at Table Church. In fact, every Sunday, about a third of our attendance is kids. And so we um, are probably looking at splitting our table tots, our preschool ministry, off and maybe figuring out a way to kind of split them to, to make more room, which means we, we could use more volunteers and so if that's something you'd be interested in learning more about, please let us know. You can write Kids Ministry on your connection card to let us know. And my wife Natalie leads the ministry, and she'll be in touch with you. Um, or maybe you can serve in the nursery. That frees up some volunteers in the nursery to go to our preschool room, whatever. We can find ways to make it work. Uh, but I just want to let you know that that's something that we could really use, and I think we'll continue to need more and more uh, as we continue to grow. Also, tonight begins our prayer class that we've been advertising for the last few weeks. So the men are going to meet tonight at 4 o'clock at the ministry center. And so men, if you want to join the prayer class and you haven't signed up yet, just come tonight at 4. All right, go ahead and write it on your connection card so I see that. Uh, But just show up tonight at 4. But here's the really important part. We're table church, so we like to eat together. And so tonight we're having a cereal buffet. Bring your favorite cereal to share. All right, 
We'll have the milk and the bowls and the spoons. You just got to grab a box of cereal on your way to the ministry center. You just want to keep a real, a real low bar for the, for the guys. Like, I think we can handle this, right? We'll have a good time. We're going to learn about prayer together. The parable that Trevor just read is about a feast that Jesus, uh, it's a parable that he tells while sitting at a feast. So he launches into this parable about a banquet while himself sitting at a banquet. And so the reference here could not be any more on the nose. I'm pretty sure that the people in the room understood that Jesus was talking about them. See, what he's saying is that, hey, you guys, you kind of social elites, you religious leaders, you can throw a pretty good banquet according to the standards of polite society, but you're not the kind of people who are going to go to God's banquet, Now, in the Old Testament, it talked about a feast that God was preparing, and it became kind of a metaphor for this time when God would return to Jerusalem and and bring peace and prosperity to his people. And and we start to understand this now as this new creation that we're looking forward to in the future. It says in Isaiah, on this mountain, the mountain being Mount Zion, that's where the temple is, "The the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples. And so the question becomes, well, what do you got to do to be at this banquet? What kind of person is going to be a part of this? And Jesus begins by showing us what kind of people won't be a part of this banquet. And now it was customary at the time where if you're throwing a party, if you're having a feast, you do two rounds of invitations. First, you send out the invitations just to see who can come. You're getting a head count. And so people say, yeah, I'll be there, or no, I won't. Now you know how much food to prepare. And then when everything's finally ready, you send out the second round of what they called invitations. And that's when you say, okay, to everybody who said they were coming, uh, it's prepared, you can now come. And the parable is talking about that second round of invitations. Now, it's not hard to see how if you were to refuse the second invitation after having accepted the first invitation, that would have been very rude. They just spend a bunch of money and a bunch of time preparing for you to be there. You said you would be there, and now you're saying you won't be there. But unfortunately, when the host in our parable sends out that second invitation to tell everyone that the time had come, it says, but they all alike began to make excuses. We're in a series on prayer right now, and today I want to talk about eliminating excuses. I want to address the excuses that we often tell ourselves that keep us from flourishing in a life of prayer. Now, as I read some Bible scholars on this passage, there isn't complete agreement on how good those excuses were. In other words, were they really actually legitimate excuses or are they completely frivolous? Not everyone really agrees, so we're just going to kind of, I don't know, we're going to form our own opinions on this. Now, I tell you one thing. When I, when I, um, I don't know what all was involved when it came to buying a field in ancient Rome, but I can tell you this. When I read that guy's excuse, I'm like, bro, that field ain't going anywhere. You know? Like, it's going to be there tomorrow. You can go to the dinner tonight. And then you got the guy who bought the five yoke of oxen. I can see that excuse a little better. Five yoke of oxen, that's ten oxen. Seems to me like that's a lot of oxen and you know, you got oxen running around. Somebody's taking care of your oxen for you or something. You should probably go tend to your oxen. I can kind of see that one a little bit better. I can see how you want to get those oxen safely in your barn, you know. But nobody's going to steal your field. So the oxen one, I kind of get. Now the last one, he says, he says I just got married, so I can't come. Ah, we just need more explanation there, don't we? I mean, when did you get married? 
yesterday, this morning, three weeks ago. You can bring her with you. You know, like I can, I can see either side of that one. So it's hard to say how strong the excuses were. But here's the thing. No matter how strong these excuses were, the point is that they weren't good enough. They weren't good enough. These people are, Jesus is comparing them to choosing earthly concerns over God's invitation to dwell with him in his kingdom feast. Now what's happening here is precisely what Jesus warns about in the parable of the soils. It's the seed sown among the thorns. It says the seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. That's who these people are. They have let the concerns of the world and, and they've crowded out the deeper things of God in their lives. And their hearts are filled with, with matters of earthly consequence, not matters of eternal consequence. And they don't see the thing that's right in front of them. And so they don't come to the great banquet and they don't even seem to care that much. Now here's something I want us to notice about this text. Their excuses are created by their prosperity. Did you notice that? Their excuses are created by their prosperity. And think about this. In the ancient world, five yoke of oxen, that's what you'd need to, apparently from what I read, it's what you'd need to plow a farm of over 100 acres. Now that's just simply enormous by ancient standards. That's a big farm. Now the only people who would go buy a field without ever seeing it, well that's just somebody with apparently some money to burn. Now, we can't know as much about the one getting married, but what we do know is that he probably already is part of an elite class in society just by the fact that he's, he's getting the invitation to this banquet in the first place. Uh, but, you know, the fact that he can't come to the banquet suggests maybe his wedding celebration is a days-long affair. In other words, a very big affair. And so it all suggests that it might be that all these excuses are made possible only because they were able to afford the excuses in the first place. Here's my point. Sometimes the worries of this world get normalized. And we start to think, well, this is actually what's real. This is actually what's most important. This, this is really how things ought to run. And we don't realize how contingent all of those things actually are. And yet they're keeping us from the most important things. We, we start to confuse the blessings with the blesser. We confuse the gifts with the gift giver. I don't want to get to the end of my life and to have spent it chasing down the next appointment or the next destination vacation or the next promotion only to realize, those pastors don't get promotions, what am I talking about? Only to realize I never participated in, in God's great banquet. I, I never participated in this feast that he's inviting me to. That I don't want to squander my life chasing the things of this world only to miss out on the point of this life in the first place. It's to be with God. That's what this whole thing is for. Let's not let the blessings get in the way of our relationship with the blesser. When I started seminary, I had a professor who, in the very first class that we had together, he... Uh, he got out a jar, and it was full of water. I don't know if you can tell. This thing is full of water all the way to the brim, and there was rocks in it. And he said, look, y'all are busy people. You're about to start a, uh, a very intense graduate program, and you, many of you have families. Many of you have full-time ministries. 
He said, look, you have full lives. If the, if the jar is your life or the water is your life, he said, all the things that you do with your time, that's like a rock in your jar. You're just about to add a really big rock to your jar. And what happens when, when you add too many rocks, the water can start to overflow. That's when your life is spinning out of control. So he said this. He said, look, not, you will not finish this program if you do not first take another rock out of your jar. Like, you got to figure out right now, on day one of the program, you got to figure out right now, what rock are you going to take out? And for some of you, it might be a little bit of a sacrifice. You might have to say, you know what, I love this hobby of mine, but at least for this season, I'm not going to do it, or I'm going to scale way back. Or or maybe um, i got to figure out how to delegate something. Or maybe the side hustle that i got going on, I'm just, I'm just not going to be able to do it right now. Because otherwise, you put the rock in, and it overflows. Your life is out of control. So what rock do you got to remove in order to add this really significant rock into your life? Now, for many people, I think, for many Christians, there is no room in our jar for a deep, rich life with God. We think that we can follow the world's script about what matters, about how life ought to look, about how to order and structure our lives. We think that we can follow the world's script on that and yet still have this deep, vibrant relationship with the Lord. But I don't think you can. And I think trying to shove all those rocks in your jar, what that's going to do is it's going to lead to exhaustion and you're going to feel guilty all the time and you're always going to be like, ah, I'm really struggling with my prayer life, right? Like that's just how your life is always going to be. And so it could be that some of us just got to figure out what's the thing I'm not going to do that everybody else does because I've got this thing that matters more. The point of this parable is this. God is looking for people who will ruthlessly confront their excuses and join him. That's, that's what this parable is saying. God's looking for people who will ruthlessly confront their excuses. The, the, the people in the parable weren't willing to do that. They weren't willing to do that. Look, most of us don't have oxen. Anybody here got oxen? I don't think so. I used to pastor in South Dakota. Probably somewhere there. I don't know, Iowa's got a lot of... (laughs) Iowa might have it as well, but not many oxen in our congregation. Not many fields owned by many of us here, I'm guessing. But you know, I'd be willing to bet our excuses for not praying come from similar places. So here's the truth that we need to recognize. And listen, once we understand this, it's going to diffuse a lot of our excuses up front. It's this, prayer is inefficient and that's a good thing. Prayer is inefficient. Just kind of get that through our heads early on, you know? Get that out there up front. It's inefficient, and that's good. There's usually nothing efficient about prayer. Sometimes in the Bible, God does answer very efficiently, right? We've talked about Elijah on Mount Carmel, like the fire from heaven falls, boom, like that's efficient. But usually, it's not very efficient. It often takes years, maybe it comes decades. The answer often comes in ways that we didn't expect, you know, maybe it only kind of comes partial. We're like, well, what is this, right? It's often very inefficient. David is anointed king, and he spends years running for his life from King Saul before he's crowned. <laughs> Moses wanders in the desert for decades. Abraham and Sarah are promised a son. They wait 25 years before they get pregnant, a quarter of a century. 
Sometimes prayers are answered quickly and decisively. I think more often than not, they're answered in a very, I don't know, slow, tumultuous kind of way. It's inefficient. And when that happens, here's what we need to remember. We need to remember sometimes God wants to deal with our hearts before he deals with our requests. Sometimes there's something here that God just needs to do like chiropractic adjustment. Like, you know, it's like get something fixed in my heart before he deals with our requests. I shared this story a, a couple weeks ago, so forgive the repetition here, but it just it, it fits well. I was, I, was, um, I was reading a book on prayer, and this, this book was talking about all the, just the incredible kind of answers to prayer that, that, that the author had seen. And I was inspired. I was like, wow. I need to start praying more boldly, you know. And so I thought, here's what I'm going to do. I'm gonna, I know that God wants to reach people for the gospel through Table Church. So I said, Lord, let's, I'm going to pray for a number by the end of the year, a number of people that come and a number of people that come to Christ. Lord, let's go. I'm going to claim it in the name of Jesus. I was getting fired up. I get down on my knees. I'm going to pray this prayer. I had a number in my mind. And I had, I've never felt it like this before, but I had this kind of resistance to my prayer. And it was like the Lord was saying to me, Phil, you can pray that prayer, but not yet. I was like, okay. You can pray that prayer, but not yet. First, I want you to do two things. I want you to pray for the victims of the earthquake in Turkey and Syria, which had happened that week. This is back in February. Number two, I want you to stand up. I want you to reach your hands up towards Edmonds Elementary and pray over that school, the students, the families, and the staff. And so I did that that day, and I didn't pray for my other prayer. He said, God said, I will let you know when you can pray for that. It's okay. And that's what I, I prayed those prayers for a week, and eventually God, I felt a release to pray for my number. I'm not telling you what it is, but it's there, and I'm praying for it, and I'm believing for it. You know, what if sometimes God has a bigger thing at work than the thing that you want? And, and what if sometimes... He wants to do a work in your heart before he does a work for your requests. And what if one of the things that God wants for us is to, not simply that we pray, but that we learn to pray well. That we have hearts who are, that are able to handle the, the intense demands that a life of intercession actually is. Did you, did you know that God is calling us into a life of intercession and, and that that is labor. That is work. And he has it for us. He wants us to do that work. But here's the problem. None of it's efficient. In a world of deadlines and bottom lines and board meetings, we, we need to have something to show for our time. And prayer can be something that you just have nothing to show afterwards sometimes. It doesn't, seem, it doesn't often make the cut in terms of what we're going to schedule out it's just too inefficient, but maybe that's the point. Remember we said prayer is inefficient, but that's a good thing? Look, Eugene Peterson says, prayer is an open act of defiance against any claim by the current regime. I love that sentence. It's an open act of defiance against any claim by the current regime. The current regime of productivity and effectiveness and deadlines and hurriedness. In prayer, we say no to that regime. And we say yes to God's invitation to his feast. At the core of the parable of the banquet is this question, what has your heart? What truly has your heart? You know, there's an easy way to answer that question. 
is, it's rather blunt and forward, but I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. Just ask this of yourself right now. The way to know what has your heart is the answer to this question. Do you pray? And I don't mean, yeah, sure, I kind of mumble a few things on my way to work, you know. I'm not saying don't do that. I'm not even saying that that's not good or important or can't be effective. I mean, do you pray, you know? Like, do you labor in prayer? Do you make this a priority of your life? Does it come before other things? Because if it doesn't, you have your answer. You may not know what has your heart, but you know who does not. When God has our heart, prayer will be a priority. Our excuses will suddenly become less important. We will find ways to say, oh, that field can wait till tomorrow. God has an invitation to me today. What has your heart? It's time to get inefficient with our prayers and to linger with God and to give the Spirit time to do His work. You know, when all the guests refuse to come to the banquet, the master of the parable, or the master in the parable tells the servant, says, Go out and invite all the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. And, and they are the ones who come to the feast. And our last series that we just finished is called God in the Margins. And one of the things we learned is that um, God, is not, God is not with the poor to the exclusion of the rich. God is with the poor often because the rich don't have time for him. And that's what's going on here in this parable. God is just too inefficient sometimes. I heard a sermon recently where the preacher brought up that movie Chariots of Fire about the uh, you know, Olympic runner, Eric Liddell. And, of course, he was a, a Christian. And the scandal was that he refused to run on Sundays. Can, can you imagine? Um, he said, I'm sorry, I'm, not, I'm you know, supposed to set a day aside for the Lord, and um, I'm not running on Sundays. Everybody's like, are you crazy? This is the Olympics we're talking about. He's like, no, I'm not, run, I'm not running on Sundays. And can you imagine that today? Like, we live in a world where our spiritual lives bend at will to our hobbies and to our jobs and to our schedules. But look, we need a generation who will issue a ruthless no to the tyranny of efficiency, who will set their priorities with an eternal perspective in, in mind, not just an earthly one. And look, I understand many of us are legitimately busy. I know what it's like to be busy. I graduated in high school. My class was, my senior class, about 300 students, and you know, they give caption awards at the end of the year, like, cutest couple, most likely to be president, you know, most likely to succeed. You know which one I got? Most busy. <laughs> that was the award they gave me. I was the busiest person in my class. And I know what it's like to be busy. It hasn't really slowed down ever since. I've, you know, gone to college. I've got two graduate degrees, a family with three kids, and I planted a church. Like, I, I know what it's like to be busy, but listen, Nothing can, no, no job promotions or awards or achievements can possibly compare to the importance of having a lifetime of encounters with God. If, if I have these, but I don't have that, I've, I've lost the plot. I've missed the point of all of this. And so listen, the things that we're saying about prayer here can also apply to worship. The worship, what we're doing here today needs to be a rock in our jar. It needs to be a rock in our jar because we're trying to form a community here that, that corporately resists the regime of a hurried and distracted life. 
And that's why our presence here in these moments matters so much. As a follower of Jesus, this should be a rock in your jar too. And I know, it's tough. Look, I've, if I ever have to, you know, when I, especially when my kids were young, get them ready to go by myself, get them in the van and get them to a place. I was a bumbling, fumbling moron, okay? I understand what it's like. Um, but if you struggle with that, I should introduce you to somebody. Her name is Natalie Wiseman, and she's been getting the kids to church on her own for years. Her husband, that clown, he's never around when it's time to go to church. And so if you want me to introduce you, I will. She's quite wonderful. Look, you don't have to be here as much as I am or Natalie. You probably shouldn't be, actually. Um, But the point is, don't let worship and prayer be the first things to go. Fight for them. Fight for these things. It matters to you and it matters to your family. Let your life with God and his people be the anchor in waves of chaos in your life. Start to see this not as an obstacle to get through or a hindrance on your schedule. See these moments, see your times with God as a nourishment for your soul in what is otherwise a crazy, crazy world. This was never meant to just be another wave. This was meant to be an anchor. And so we might need to ruthlessly confront some excuses. What keeps you from prayer? What keeps you from this feast you know, maybe, it's, it, maybe you got really small kids. you got a baby. Um, you know that some of my sweetest times in prayer were when I was bouncing a baby to sleep in the middle of the night. I don't know what it was. Our kids couldn't be rocked. They had to be bounced, like on a, a ball. It's probably why my back is a mess now. Like, I had to bounce my kids to sleep. Listen, I remember when, I, when Rowan was a baby, I developed this practice of a breath, a breath prayer. You know what a breath prayer is? It's something that's been thousands, it's an ancient tradition where it's just a prayer that you say in a breath. And one of the classic breath prayers is simply, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And I would be like, okay, I'm going to say 200 breath prayers. And usually by the time I was done, not only had I just like centered my heart on the Lord, but Rowan was asleep too. Some of my sweetest times of prayer with the Lord have been in that sort of a space. Like, whatever it is that is keeping you from God, maybe that can actually be an opportunity. Are you stressed out at work? Well, that is your source of prayer. Is parenting difficult? Well, you've got a reason to pray. The passion of your prayer, listen, is often in direct proportion to how deeply something concerns you. The passion of your prayer can be in direct proportion to how deeply something concerns you. So what concerns you? That is what you are called to labor for in prayer. So listen, here's what I'm saying. Turn your excuses into springboards. Get creative with God. Say, okay, this is the thing that seems to to be keeping me from this feast. How can it actually be a way to enter into it? And believe me, some of the things that we often think are keeping us away can be some of the most valuable spiritual disciplines in our lives that teach us things like selflessness, teach us humility, and that kind of stuff. Turn your excuses into springboards. The things that are a burden to you, the things that seem like they're in your way, how can you do like a jujitsu move on them and actually help those things can be the things. You got, a, you got a baby up in the middle of the night. Guess what? You've got time to pray. You know what I'm saying? Like, how can we turn our excuses into springboards? The other thing I'll say this. Let your heartache feed your hunger for prayer. 
Let your heartache feed your hunger for prayer. That is how we turn those excuses into fuel. The thing that is heavy in your heart today, the burden that is holding you down, that can fuel your prayer life. Run to God with those things. Bring them to him. As you came in the door, you were handed a, a card, not just a connection card, but an index card as well. And I simply, I want to do something very simple today. And this is private, okay? You're not going to hand these in. You're not going to show them to anybody. This is just for you. But go ahead and pull out that, uh, that index card. I don't want you to write a prayer request on it. Don't write a prayer. Simply write what's hard. Simply write what burdens you right now. Tell me, like, just don't tell me. Just write that down. Because once you do that, there's your prayer list. There's your prayer request. So instead of thinking of, of like, oh, I need to write a perfect little prayer to the Lord, think of like, no, actually, here's, here's what's hard for me. You're just writing in a journal to yourself. This is your diary. And as you write it, or once you write it, go back and pray it as we sing this song. Go ahead and stay seated for this so that you can have some time with the Lord in order to figure out what it is that he wants to minister to you in. Lord Jesus, I ask that right now you would help us to, with vulnerability and honesty, um, come before you to be able to identify what's really going on in our lives and in our hearts and what really burdens us and weighs us down. And Lord, let us use those things as springboards into prayer. Let us find the things that maybe keep us from prayer. And, and Lord, give us the creativity to turn that around and to actually use them as ways to come to you. May we not be the people who come up with excuses and to deny your invitation to the banquet. But Lord, may we come and feast with you today. We love you, Lord, in your name. Amen.